welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hi, Scott. Welcome to another week. Thank you. It's good to be here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a question this week. Mm. Love questions. Yeah. We do, we do love questions. Please send them in. Yes. Uh, it makes our job so much more fun. Realpersonalfinance.co. Right. Submit a question. Uh, okay. but for And if you really love our episodes, please leave us a review or give us uh, some stars on your local uh, thingamajigger. Yep. Okay. So the question this week is for those who are already maxing out their 401k, what are tax-efficient investment strategies? Yeah. And I, I like this question because it's timely. For those that are doing a good job of saving their 401k, you're going to come across, you're going to hit a point at which you've maxed out what you can put in. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're making more money than, more money starts hitting your your bank account. Yep. Because you maxed it out. Yeah. Which is good news, but bad news of, okay, well, I want to keep putting money away tax efficiently. What can I do now? Little side note on that. Another thing that'll happen around, you know, depending on how much you make is if you hit over the social security threshold. Um, which I think, what's this year's like? It's like 129 or something, I think, 129,000. Some, something like that. Um, you'll start to make more money too, which you could put that towards savings and you wouldn't know the difference. Yep. Okay, but um, why, don't, why don't we frame this? Uh, I love the question, but I immediately, my, my math quickly went, my head quickly went to, well, what percent of income are you saving? And like kind of are you in the right num- right range um, for what you want to be saving in a year. Does that yeah, make sense? I, I think so, because you're looking at the big, bigger question, which is what should those future dollars be saved for? Right, because <clears throat> I immediately jumped to like, well, should you go do something else with this money or should it be going away for retirement? So like, you know, the broad rule of thumb, and it's a really broad rule of thumb, is if you can save continuously anywhere from 10% a year to 20% a year ongoing towards retirement or towards creating financial freedom for yourself, you'll probably be okay. Yeah. So the first place my mind jumps on this question is, well, how much? What percentage of your income are you saving? Right. Because if you're if you make four hundred thousand dollars a year and you're saving nineteen and a half thousand, well, that's you know, that's kind of which is the max if you're under max, fifty to a four hundred one k for a four hundred one k this year. That's kind of undercutting your savings. So mm-hmm. then you need to keep going for retirement. But if you're already hitting your retirement goals really well, then we probably want to look at doing other things. Yeah, if you're making a hundred grand and you're putting away nineteen thousand five hundred, that's that's almost twenty percent of your savings. You'd be doing great. You're doing awesome. So, what what should people think about? I think you said ten to twenty percent. Now, obviously, that's a broad rule of thumb. Yeah. But starting there mm-hmm. is going to help give some perspective to okay, if you've maxed out, what next? Yep. So if if um, so for where to put the money if you're not fully funding retirement yet that percentage that you figured out that you want to hit i would start with um by keeping it simple i would see if your 401k plan allows for after-tax contributions after-tax contribution what does that mean yep 
So after tax contributions, um, when you guys sign up for a 401k, normally you'll see, hey, you have two choices. You can do pre-tax. That's just kind of a regular 401k. Or you can do Roth contributions, which means post-tax. I already paid taxes on it, 401k. And the max number that you're allowed to put away in any given year, if you're under the age of 50, is uh, $19,500. Yep. 26000 if you're 50 or older. 26000 if you're a little older, or 26 and a half. I don't remember what the actual number is. You probably do. 26. Okay. I totally trust you. <laughs> okay, so 20, yeah, because there's a, what we call catch-up provision. But beyond that, uh, 401k defined contribution plan, speaking more broadly, so 403Bs and 401ks and all those guys, they actually allow you, any individual, to put up to $57,000 a year into the plan. Yeah. Which is huge. I think a lot of people don't, people many times know that max, which is 19500 or 26000 but they don't know that there are sometimes, there is sometimes the ability to put up to that 57000 in. Yeah. Now, it's not all, it's not tax deductible when you do that. It's called an right. after-tax contribution. But when you're looking at tax-efficient investment strategies on an ongoing basis, the nice thing about those contributions is you're not paying taxes on any dividends or growth or interest on that after-tax contribution. Yeah. Exactly. So like you, so like if James has, you know, for James's company, he goes and puts his 19 and a half thousand away and then he still wants to say, put away another, he wants to put away 40,000 in total. Well, he could put away 20 and a half thousand dollars after tax into his 401k as well. Now, all of the growth that happens on top of that 20 and a half thousand, that will be considered, we'll want to treat that kind of like the pre-tax money of everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the 20 and a half thousand, if he keeps doing that year over year over year, when he eventually leaves his employer and has a and rolls out his money into IRAs and Roth IRAs, he'll take all of his after-tax contributions and put those in a Roth, and then he'll take his um, all the funds that built on top of that with all the pre-tax stuff that was already happening at in the four hundred one k, and he'll put that in a regular IRA. Yep. Or if he'd been doing a Roth and those after-tax contributions, everything would go in the Roth. Yeah. So that, that would be the one place that you could look to save right away that would be fairly efficient, mm -hmm. um, but also isn't a big lift for you. It should be rather simple so long as your company offers after-tax contributions. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's just continuing with the, the tax efficiency that I had in my, again, if we can use me as the example, my 401k, except now I'm treating my 401k like a combination between pre-tax and after-tax, but there's still no taxes on the dividends, the growth, the interest going forward, which is very tax efficient for my working years. But wait, there's more. Uh, so, so like some companies and some plan documents are now allowing you to do what's called a mega backdoor Roth conversion. Whoa. Right? That sounds awesome. It's, it's mega. and Yeah. Absolutely. It is awesome. It doesn't just sound awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so what that means is those after-tax contributions that James was making, that $20,500 he was putting away, remember what I said before is that the money he put away will always be considered after-tax, but anything that grew on top of it would be considered taxable in his IRA account when he starts taking those distributions in the future. So remember, pre-tax IRA accounts and pre-tax 401k accounts, we get to put money in today and not pay taxes, but in the future we have to take when we take our money out, we have to pay taxes in the future, mm -hmm. right? So instead of doing that with the after-tax money and letting the money grow on top that we have to pay taxes on again in the future, some will offer this plan where they allow you to do what's called an in-service Roth conversion. 
And so what that means is he'll put his $20,500 away over the course of the year, and he may have it set up on a cadence where every time the money goes in, that after-tax money, he just converts it right away mm-hmm. into the Roth portion of his 401k plan. And now he's letting all of that, not only the contribution grow tax-free in the future, but he also gets all of the growth on top of it to grow tax-free in the future. Right. Which, if I'm earlier on in my working career, that's a huge benefit because the growth that's going to accumulate on those contributions, if it stays in the 401k the whole time, there's going to be a tremendous amount of growth on that over time. And so when I go to roll that over when I'm done working, that's all pre-tax, which means I pay taxes on that when I retire, which, which isn't terrible. I got some good tax benefits. But if I can convert, if I can do after, conversions of the after-tax contributions all along the way, that, that could save me huge amounts of taxes over time because it's it's essentially like making huge Roth IRA contributions, except you're doing it through your employer's 401k plan and then converting it all the while. Absolutely. And the, the I, I like that for people who are in no matter the tax bracket, right? If you're already hitting that nineteen and a half thousand dollar contribution, if you're in the if you're in lower brackets, you may want to be doing Roths, and if you're in really high brackets, you probably want to be doing pre-tax. But the moment you've maxed out all the pre-tax things you can do, um, this makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. Awesome. So if you've maxed a four hundred one k, next step, look to see if there's after-tax contributions available to you in a four hundred one k. If so, great. The second step would be. Can you do the the mega backdoor option, which is do they allow for in-service rollovers or in-service conversions to be able to do that along the way? What if either my employer doesn't offer that or I'm already doing that and I've kind of tapped out that benefit as well? Where should I look to next? Yep. So then you could look to do um, the same backdoor Roth thing we just talked about. You could look to do that with just regular IRA accounts. Yeah. So if you are, if you are married and your income is less than $196,000 per year, you can just do a straight Roth IRA contribution True. to you or you and a spouse. If it's above 206000 you can't. And what you would have to do in that case is you'd have to do what's called the backdoor Roth IRA, which mm-hmm. is very similar to what we just talked about with the, the after-tax contributions to a 401k. What you're doing is you're making what would be considered a non-deductible IRA contribution that then at a later time gets converted to a Roth IRA. We should probably do maybe a more thorough episode on this at some point, but yeah, it gets messy really fast. But you there are some did a things to keep into account. So when you do a backdoor Roth, you're going to have two accounts. You have an IRA account that you're going to fund with a six thousand dollar contribution, and non deductible, as James just said, means I do not get to deduct this on my taxes because I don't get a tax benefit for doing this. This is after tax money, right? And then as soon as that money's in the account, you can convert it into your Roth IRA. And by doing that conversion, so long as there's no other IRA accounts in your social security number, meaning a simple, a SEP, a rollover account, then that conversion won't cost you anything in taxes when you do that. Right. If you do have a simple, a SEP, or a rollover IRA, you have to worry about something called the pro rata rule, which we're Mm -hmm. not going to dive into deeply here. Mm -hmm. Um, Just something to keep in mind. Yep. Yeah. And so to keep it simple, if your income is less than 196000 and you're married, you have nothing to worry about. Make contributions to Roth IRAs. That's a great tax-efficient way to invest. If you're single, the numbers change. If you make less than $124,000 as your adjusted gross income, you can do the direct Roth IRA contribution. If it's over 139000 that's where you need to look into doing a backdoor Roth IRA. And if you're anywhere in between those ranges, you can do uh, a partial Roth contribution, but not the full amount. 
Yep. So those are great places. The, the the first places you should look to invest if going back to your original question, Scott, when you're looking at what percentage income are you saving to retirement? Mm-hmm. If you're not yet at the percentage that you should be saving to hit your retirement goals, look here first. Look at the after-tax 401k. Look at the mega backdoor Roth conversion in your 401k. Look at Roth IRAs, backdoor Roth IRAs. And then even you can start to look at HSA accounts. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Health savings accounts, yeah. Health savings accounts. If you want to know more about what that is, go back to episode four. We talk in more detail about that. But a health savings account is a a place where you can save tax-free for for, – Healthcare expenses. Yep. And it's a great tool because any money that you put into your health savings account, you get a tax deduction today. You can invest those funds. And so you don't pay any taxes as those funds grow. And if you pull those money out for medical expenses, there's also no taxes. Mm -hmm. So it can be triple tax free, which you're not going to find anywhere else, really. No, it's the best best deal in town. I fully agree. Best deal in town. And the nice thing is if you don't actually use those funds for – Healthcare expenses, well, then you can use those funds just like you would use a 401k or an IRA in retirement. You can pull them out at that time. There's no penalty. Yep. You just pay taxes on it because uh, you're not using them for medical expenses. But remember, you got tax deduction as those contributions were going in. Yep, absolutely. And I, th- I think um, HSA is a great place to go look to save be ta- in a tax-efficient manner. And especially because there, you can also utilize the funds if, as long as you keep track of your expenses uh, along the way. If you ever get to a point where you really need cash, maybe you burnt through an emergency fund or something like that, and you, you if you've only if you put these HSA funds away mainly for investment and for future need rather than for actually using it for medical expenses on a regular basis, you can actually if you keep track of all of your medical expenses while you have an HSA account, you can go back and you can say, "Hey, I need my money for these expenses that occurred in these times." Mm. Um, and get it back tax free because that's what it's designed for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tons of tax benefits there. Uh, we did talk about this more in episode 4, but if you live in a state like California and I think I think New Jersey's the only other one. Mm. They don't technically recognize HSAs, so you're not going to get the same tax treatment there. But from the yep. federal standpoint, which is the higher the tax brackets, um, there are going to be some significant benefits to that, which is which is nice. So we're going to talk more about these as well. Scott and I are going to make September kind of the employee benefits month. So we're going to talk about uh, open enrollment. We're going to talk about what you should be looking for with your employer. And of course, health plan options are going to be something, something there that we'll dive into. So make sure you turn in, tune in in September, and we'll talk a lot more about this. But HSAs, health savings accounts, those can be very tax efficient places to save once you've maxed out your 401k and some other things as well. Absolutely. So with that, okay, so we kind of hit all the things that should be you probably have access to through your employer, or maybe you did a couple things off uh, with IRA, Roth IRA type stuff. Um, where should we go from here? So let's start, if, if you have an employer, but maybe also you have some side income, the, this could be the case if maybe you do some consulting work on the side, or maybe you have, I don't know, an Etsy shop or you, anything really. If you have side income, that income is is fully open for you to set up a retirement plan for. And a retirement plan just offers a great place to invest tax efficiently, which is the whole goal of this. How do we invest in a tax efficient way? So if you have side income, even if you've already maxed out your 401k through work, you can open up different retirement plans for yourself because you are technically a business at that point. And you could open up things like solo 401ks, SEP IRAs, Mm -hmm. other options. And you can essentially make what would be considered profit sharing contributions because you've already maxed out what are your employee deferrals. Again, you can only put up to 19500 in as an employee or more if you're over 50. 
uh, but you could make profit sharing contributions above and beyond that. So if you have any side income, that that can be a great tool to use for some more tax efficient investing as well. Agreed. And, and the other benefit to that, which we're, we'll tie in on a different episode, is um, those backdoor Roth IRAs we were talking about before. If you have lingering SEP IRAs or you have lingering rollover IRAs, if you can open a solo 401k with your side income, it's a wonderful place to go put those old IRA accounts so you can do those backdoor Roths as Yeah, well. consolidate everything there. That's a good point. So I think that's kind of, we, we wanted to first scrape through to say what other retirement plan options or tax advantage plans options are there once you've maxed out your 401k. But let's assume that someone's taken advantage of all those, or maybe they don't have the option to invest in all of those. They can always open up just what's called a taxable account. Yeah, a traditional investment account or brokerage account. And there are tax-efficient ways to invest there as well, right? So long as you're not um, buying and selling on the regular, you can get long-term capital gains treatment on your investments. And Mm -hmm. you could even try to position it into um, funds that hopefully don't pay as much in dividends. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which which with all of the – with the future – with where we're headed with with, uh, kind of financial services and the technology coming together – it would be it'll be nice eventually if, if you can have more even more tax efficient type investments for taxable portfolios. Yeah, definitely. And I think a, a simple way of looking at it is when you open up a taxable account, any growth that you get on funds you invest there is taxable. So unlike an IRA or four oh one K, if you invest money, you could always take the money out that you invested and there's not taxes on that, but any growth is. And the growth that you're gonna get is gonna come from either interest or dividends or capital appreciation which just means your money growing in value. Of those three things, interest and dividends are the least tax efficient. Mm -hmm. So when you're investing here, if you want a tax efficient investment strategy, try not to invest in things as much that pay interest, which is typically bonds, or dividends, which is stocks that are paying dividends. What you're going to want to look for is ideally more capital appreciation. So things that make their money by growing in value, not necessarily by paying interest or dividends. Yeah, and we could go into a rabbit hole really fast on this one. But the interesting thing is if you start to look big picture at what you want to be doing, you can start to do something called asset location, which could be its own episode. Simply looking at where should I efficiently put things that generate interest for me in right. all of the types of accounts that I have, whether it's 401k accounts or Roth IRA accounts or taxable accounts. And then you can do the same thing with dividends. And you can do the same things with capital appreciation. Yep. So that you can build an overarching balance sheet that works really well for you, but it's as tax efficient as it can possibly be. Yeah, because dividends aren't tax efficient, but that doesn't mean you should totally avoid dividend paying stocks. You might just want to own those investments in your 401k, for example, where any dividends are going to grow tax deferred and own the types of investments that grow in value or if capital appreciation focus, own those in your taxable accounts. So like Scott said, we could really go down a rabbit hole on this, but just to keep it simple, that's probably the next best place to invest. And you want to focus on owning things that aren't going to put you or aren't going to be subject to high taxes as it grows. Yep. Okay. So from there, by now, we should have had you to saving at least 20% of your income if you do all of those things. Uh, and so now, why don't we, now let's make the assumption that funding for retirement or financial freedom is covered. Um, still asking the question of what should we do in tax efficient strategies? Uh, what's next? So what's next is this is where you really need to start to look at what are your goals or priority for the funds that you have. If you've checked the retirement box and you still want to invest, well, what's it for? Is it is it for a home purchase? Is it to send kids to college? Is it for something else? And uh, let's say it's for a home purchase. 
depending upon the time frame, you know, say if you want to buy a home in the next couple, three years or so, you probably you, you at least want to consider not really investing that money. That Fully investing that. in the stock market is not something that you want to do if you have a short term goal because you could go two, three, four years without making money and actually losing money. A decade. A decade. Yeah. The 2000s. The 2000s. If you're all in the S&P 500, you're going to go an entire decade losing money. And if you were saving for a home along that point, that that wasn't a fun time. It hurts. wasn't a fun time for anything, I guess. Yeah. Um, But home purchase. If you're going to save for a home, that's something that you just might want to use an online savings account for. And now – Marcus will give you 0.8% right now. Which we were joking. Watch out. Is incredibly tax efficient. (laughs) <laughs> the the downside is it's just it's almost nothing in interest. So yeah. if you don't want so, to pay taxes, don't get anything in interest. Thankfully, high yield savings accounts are are uh, accomplishing that today. High yield savings accounts. The high yield is in quotes now, yep. right? Because it's it's literally not much of anything, and that's because of where the Fed funds rate is. But you have to ask why you're saving this money, and if you're saving something to be used in the next year or two. An emergency fund cash account, high yield savings account can make a lot of sense. We're actually going to do an episode on that next week about where you should be putting your emergency fund. Ooh, nice teaser. Yeah, thanks. Come back next week, see what that's all about. Yep. Um, awesome. So home purchase, if if that's what you want to look to do, then online savings accounts are probably the place to do it. The next thing you can look at is maybe you're trying to save for college. And if you're trying to save for college, then something like a 529 plan is going to be very tax efficient mm-hmm. depending upon the state you're in. And, and we did a deeper dive on this in episode number 58. So if you want to know about 529 plans, listen to episode number 58. Depending on the state that you're in, you may or may not get a state income tax deduction for making a contribution to a 529 plan. But regardless of where you live, as those funds grow, they grow completely tax-free. So uh, there's some good tax-efficient investing you can do there. I mean, you can get really complicated and do like dynasty type 529 plans for future generations but Mm, that's something that's a very long rabbit hole that we're going to stay away from uh but for college that's that's a super tax efficient place to invest yep and episode 58 we just geeked out on 529s yep in depth so that's all we have on that yep and then uh you know we're we're a lot of rabbit hole potential on this episode. Another option is maybe investment real estate. We're not going to talk too much about this because there are so many things that you need to consider. But if you've checked a lot of the boxes that you need to check to make sure that this makes sense for you, investment real estate can be very tax efficient. And not not investment real estate in the sense that you go buy a REIT because REITs can be very tax inefficient. But if you actually physically own the property, then you can write off certain things, whether it's uh, the mortgage interest you pay, property taxes, costs to maintain the property, you can depreciate it. So you can get some good long-term growth potential as well as some tax deductions. But that's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say about that unless you want to No, the only thing I would add to that is it'll be its own episode in the future. And investment real estate is really not something I think most people should look at until they have a really solid balance sheet to begin with. Because while there can be tax efficiency, there are also... Uh, a lot of issues that can come up with um, from a cash flow perspective, from uh, having a big financial need for repairs, from uh, the amount of time that you want to invest in such a thing. Liability, so, all, all of it. All, yeah. all kinds. There's While the tax efficiency is absolutely there, there's a lot of, of detractors as well. And you really need to make sure you fully comprehend all of those before you dive into it. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I think what this ultimately comes down to is the question of how do you balance the present versus the future with the extra funds, assuming you're maxing out a 401k going back to the listener question is what are the funds for? And once you identify what the funds are for, whether it's for future spending or for current spending, that's where you start to figure out what's the best type of investing 
or not investing, uh, really I'm going to pursue to to take advantage of that. Absolutely. I mean, to me, this comes back to the, the four things that you really have to invest in in your life are your time, your money, your energy, and your talent. And you're really utilizing saving money to help free up the other three for yourself in the future. Um, at the same time, you want to make sure you're living a great life while you're doing that. Yep. So so you're always you're always dealing with the balance and figuring out what you want to do next. That's right. Awesome. Well, really appreciate this listener question. If you guys have more questions, you can always submit those to the Real Personal Finance website, realpersonalfinance.co. Scott, love, Scott and I love getting those. Anything else, Scott? Nope. Just if, if you like listening to these episodes, feel free to share them because we want to help as many people as we can. And uh, yeah, feel free to leave a review if you like what we do. And we appreciate you guys. If you don't like it, leave a review too. Yes. Just uh <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Tell us how to be better. <laughs> appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to episode number 60 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer on a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. That's realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.